everybody to this brand new podcast, It's a Crazy Life. My name's Sarah and I'm just a crazy lady on a mission to motivate, educate and inspire you on your very own journey to become the best version of yourself. Welcome back everybody to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. As always, my name is Sarah and I will be your host. Today we're going to hear part two of the incredible interview with Peter Martin, all about his experience with PTSD. And this week we're going to be hearing what are triggers and how to deal with them, the difference between danger and fear, how Pete manages his PTSD, and then Pete also explains how you can help someone going through a hard time with a little message for the parents and the people who may be experiencing the hard time also. I hope you enjoy the show and it gives you some further knowledge on PTSD and its effects. I'll see you on the other side. And so, because you spoke about triggers earlier, Pete, and you were saying that you wouldn't go to places that would start your triggers and stuff like that. But triggers are an everyday part of life, aren't they? So yeah. when is it okay to avoid a trigger? And when is it okay to try and face a trigger and try and get over it? I think... What you've got to do with triggers um, is not put yourself in a position where you're out of control. Okay. Do it slowly so it's controlled. So if we go back to that snake again that you're scared of, if I just turned up at your house and said, here, grab this, yeah, you're probably going to scream and run off. But if I slowly introduced you to a snake or a spider, so you could get used to looking at it, Mm -hmm. then maybe touch it, you know, you have to you have to do things slowly. Don't just jump in feet first. Because what I did, especially when I was drinking, if, if I thought there was a pub where I would get any kind of aggravation, yeah, I'd drink 10 pints of lager, yeah. go into that pub and sort of say, okay, anybody got a problem? <laughs> yes. It's not the way to deal with things. <laughs> There's one way of pulling the band-aid off, I suppose. <laughs> but it's, it's not the way to deal with things. That's not how you go about, you know, uh, moving on in life. It just compounds things. Yeah. So you have to do it in a controlled way and you have to build up to things. Yes. You know, and there are some things that you may just have to avoid for the rest of your life. And that's okay as well. That's okay as well. And just saying, you know what? Maybe I'll never be able to go to that place again. You know, I can do for one day. You know, but do I have to? Yeah. What, you know, what's the point? What would I gain from it? Yeah, definitely. Probably nothing. So I've done, as you said earlier, you don't have to have the answers for everything. You don't have to solve every problem. Sometimes you can just accept how we are for humans and let things be. Yeah. You know, and we don't have to be over clever about everything, do we? (laughs) No, (laughs) as I'm learning. But the thing is with fear, um, there's a difference between fear and danger. Yes, you were saying this last time. I wanted to ask you this. Yeah, so it's really simple, you know. There are certain things that are dangerous and it is fear 
inside our nervous system that helps us keep safe from those dangerous things. The problem is in modern day society, we are scared sometimes in safe situations and we are, we are scared in safe environments yeah. because of these conflicts. So the colour code system can help you settle the arguments and realise that actually I'm not in danger, so get back to code yellow. Yes. Because some people, you know, are scared of the wrong things. We, we, we've spoken before about people come to me, especially ladies, and they'll come and they'll say, I'm scared of a random attack from a stranger, you know. I saw, yeah, okay, that exists, but you should really be more worried about domestic violence as a woman in the UK. So sometimes we are a little bit scared of the wrong things. Yeah. But fear and danger is completely different, you know. Um, there's some things that people do that, that I just couldn't, and there's some things I can do that other people can't. I'll give you an example. A friend of mine, um, I used to work with him, and he used to say, I couldn't do these presentations you do, Pete. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, you stand up in front of like 900,000 people and talk. He said, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have the nerve. I'd be scared. And I'd say, yeah, okay, but listen to this. If you did, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah? What's the worst? You're not going to get hurt. They might not, have you, they might not invite you back. We might, they might not be very complimentary. But what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, yeah, but I'd still be scared. And I said, okay, right. You're a mountain climber. <laughs> And he was, he was a mountain climber. Wow. I said, I couldn't climb up a mountain because I'd be scared of falling off. That's yeah. a real danger. Yeah. yeah. People fall off mountains and die. Yeah. I said, so you're, you're participating in a hobby where you may die, but you're not scared. Yeah. I do some of the worst that's going to happen to me is I'll get a bad review. <laughs> yeah. What have I got to be scared of? <laughs> it's true, it's true. And he said, yeah, you're right. I still wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a big difference between fear and danger. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you something about the martial arts world. And um, it's probably not that relevant to a lot of people out there. And some people don't understand the concept. But I'll just pop it in there. Yeah. And some people might not get it, but it, it's what initially made me think about fear and danger being two different things, right? So when I start explaining this, you'll probably think, what the hell is it going on about? <laughs> right? But just bear with me. There's a quite an eccentric writer in America who's an awesome author. Okay. Taught me a lot of stuff over the years. Just a phenomenal guy. And um, he came up with the talisman theory. Okay. A talisman salesman, right? You used to have in America where they'd sell you snake skin oil and stuff, cure all illnesses, yeah? Wow. And they used to travel around selling their medicine that didn't work. They were basically con men. Yeah. And there's a lot of con men in the martial arts and self-defense world. Okay. Yeah? So they will profess to sell you uh, the ultimate techniques that will keep you safe from anything. Right, okay. Yeah, you'll see on their adverts, come and learn this and you'll be able to keep you and all your family safe forever. Okay. All right? That con men. Yeah. 
because there's no techniques or systems in the world that can promise to do that, like Conmin. But the way he did it, he, was, he linked it to what we're talking about, saying that they are playing on people's fears, okay, and they're profiting it from it. And he wrote a story, and it was called The Talisman Salah. And basically what it was, um, a guy went to the Talisman Salah and said, you know, I've got a problem. There's no counsellors then, because it was <laughs> hundreds of years ago. So I've got an issue, and I want you to help me. So the guy said, yeah, what's your problem? He said, uh, I'm scared of vampires. Okay. Okay, so he had the same response. I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> he said, right. He said, so I want you to help me because I've got a real fear of vampires. So the guy, initially, in his fairness, he said, well, you do know vampires don't exist, don't you? <laughs> yeah? yeah? And the guy says, yeah, but I'm still scared of vampires. <laughs> You're not making me feel any better. <laughs> yeah. Right? I've got loads of money here, so I, I want you to help me. So the guy thinks for a little, little while, and he goes, right there, and he goes there, and he comes back, and he said, take this, and he says, what is it? He said, it's a silver cross. He said, right. He says, you give me all your money, and I'll give you this silver cross. Right? So he gives him all his money, and he gives him the silver cross, and he says, now put it round your neck, and he puts it round his neck. And he says, and what will this silver cross do? He said, that will protect you from any vampire 24 hours a day. You will be impervious from vampire attacks. Yeah. And the guy says, that's fantastic. You've cured me. It was worth every penny and walks off quite happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is how some people view danger and fear. Right. They have really um, the wrong attitude towards what they should be scared of. Okay. And it could be irrational, but for them, it's real. It's very real, yeah. The, fierce, the fear of vampires for that guy was real. Yeah. You might not agree with it. No. But it was real. And I have a lot of people come to me who are scared of things that they really shouldn't be scared of, not in modern day society. Yeah. So rather than take that and inform them yeah. that really they don't need to be afraid and there's other ways of dealing with it. Yeah. But there are a lot of people out there that will take your money. That's that's the problem, isn't it? And that, and that is the same in my industry. There's a lot of people, like you were saying earlier, oh, I'm gurus, and I'll teach you how to make seven figures in six months. It's lies. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. lies. It is. All we can do is pass on information that may or may not help people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. And, and that's it, really. Oh, my goodness. That's so true. And it's, it's like you said, I've got so many... I have to watch my language. I had so many um, irrational fears that were just not real, but in my mind, they were huge. And it, it, yeah, they're real. Yeah. So you can't just um, you can't just ignore the fears of other people and dismiss them because to them they are real, aren't they? Yes, definitely. I suppose you've just told us about the colour coded and stuff, but how do you then manage your PTSD? Do you still suffer with it now, or would you say it's it's kind of sorted? As I've come back through the looking glass, I've, I'm changed. Yes, okay. 
but in some ways I'm changed for the better. Yeah. It's given me a different outlook on life and it's made me realise what's important and what's not important. Right. When, when people go through a terrifying experience with violence and they've survived, they do have a different outlook. Mm-hmm. They tend to be very bored with day-to-day tittle-tattle. Yeah. They are very, and me especially, they are very low tolerance of fools. Yeah. <laughs> and liars and idiots. <laughs> you know, because they realise that they're actually maybe doing things that put people in danger or hurt them. And you just have a realisation that there's a, there's a bigger picture rather than the social stuff that you get involved with, the public image that you try to maintain, which is normally misinterpreted anyway, the people pleasing, chasing people. A lot of, I've, I've got mates who worked in the military. One dot only died a few months ago. He was ex-SAS wow. and he was mil- military for couple of decades and I had another guy who was uh, a friend of mine he was um, 22 years parachute regiment wow. three tours about faster in the troubles and he was blown up in the Falklands oh my goodness so very very experienced guys it's in a lot of service and um, when they came out you know I used to chat to them about this sort of stuff and they both had the same attitude because you imagine someone coming out the SAS or the parachute regiment or the marines and then go off and be a, a mercenary or yeah. some really exciting job. But for people who've done it for as long as they have, want nothing less. They want a quiet life. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> They've seen enough trauma and action to last them a lifetime. They want a quiet life. Yeah, yeah. Go and have a pint in Hereford. <laughs> You'll see lots of quiet men saying corners, reading the paper, drinking the pint. Minding their own business. Yeah, people, people who've had very exciting lives and they just want to live a peaceful and happy existence. And when you've experienced trauma, that's what you want because you do not want to experience it again. No. It's, is that how you feel then? Do you just want a peaceful, quiet life? Oh, 100%, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I've gone full circle from being 15, 16, working on doors in pubs and clubs to not thinking we'd earn some money unless we had a fight. <laughs> to now, you know, only going to sort of family pubs and, you know, trying to avoid confrontation. I've gone full circle in my life. Now, not just because of what happened to me 10 years ago. I changed many years before that. I was just unfortunate with that episode that I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Prior to that, um, a lot of the violence that I experienced, you know, and I've been hurt, you know, I've been, you know, lots of injuries, but I would say every time it was because of my own doing. You know, whenever I've been beat up in the past or really hurt or hospitalised, I've always, you know, been big enough to say, well, you know what, it was probably my own fault. Yeah. You can't you can't play with violence and then moan that you've been hurt. Yeah. Because it's not like that, mate. No, no. You know what I mean? You can't play them games and then 
moan because you've lost the game. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all, all for peaceful life now. That's brilliant, though. It is brilliant. It's a bit like it is like for me, like my life was just drama and carnage until I was sort of like 30. And now, I, if anything like that, I'm so far removed from it. I just I can't be bothered. I don't I don't want to know about it. Unfortunately, with young people, obviously I do book and my work with now, you can't tell them that and nobody could tell me. No, normally, yeah. <laughs> the only the only way you get to that position is by your own learning and your own experiences. And if you're like me, the only way I learned was the hard way. Yeah, same. <laughs> I wasn't intelligent enough to learn the easy way. So um, you know, I learned the hard way, but fortunately I did learn. Some people don't learn. It ends bad ways for them, unfortunately. So, Pete, then, this is what I think people want to hear. So, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe been through a traumatic experience and believe that they may have PTSD? What would you say to them? Get professional help. I'm not saying that it'll work for you every time, mm -hmm. but your starting point is get professional help. Yeah. With PTSD, it's one of those things that can get worse and it can grow and it can be very destructive. Yeah. So get professional help. In, in a lot of cases, medication is needed to treat PTSD. Okay. It was believed that it was untreatable at one time, but I don't necessarily believe that fully. Mm -hmm. um, but get professional help. That, that's the best advice I can give you. Yeah. And talk to a professional. Yeah. It's good to understand, you know, what you're going through and accept that it's a natural thing to do. You know, it, it will make it easier for you to accept but even with all that, some people still need professional help. Yes, definitely. Because you know. you, you're only inside your own head, aren't you? And there's only so much friends and family can do before it, it becomes sort of monotonous, <laughs> if that makes sense. I know yeah. how that felt. The, the, the thing is, if you've been through trauma, you know, if you've got depression and stuff, you talk to people and, okay, fine. But, with what I went through, nobody wanted to talk about it. I bet. Because they didn't want to, they didn't want to accept it. You know, it wasn't a very pleasant topic of conversation. They may have known the people involved. So when you brought it up, um, they didn't want to discuss it, which is fair enough, you know. Um, nothing to do with them, really, you know. But very few people actually wanted to talk about the topic. And if you've had a traumatic event, other people may not want to discuss it with you and they may just not know what to say. Yeah. But with any kind of talking therapy, it's not what you say to the client or patient. It's what they say. Yes. So you haven't got to give them clever answers and that. Sometimes I just want someone to talk to. Yeah. The problem is when I used to talk to people, 
I used to scare him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. About it, and you know, I was putting in a position really that was unfair. You know, and I said, "Well, why don't you want to talk about it? I'm just telling you how it is." But it's not really fair on them to put them in that position. Yeah. So, talk to a professional. Definitely, and 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 I must say as well, especially in my situation, I couldn't find a profession at first that I felt comfortable with opening up to. So I had to kind of shop around, if you like, until I found found somebody who I was able to speak with openly. Yeah, I had that a lot. I know I went to victim support and it just didn't do it for me at all. I did, didn't have a lot in the way of professional help because I didn't need it. You know, I had a bit, but you need to go to get professional help to see whether it's needed or not. There was a couple of instances with me that will stick with me for life. Okay. And it's when people show their true colours. Okay. Right? Some people, I felt as though they turned their back on me. Right, I see. I don't think they did. I just think they didn't want to be involved or discuss it. Okay. Yeah, but I talk, took it as them turning the backs on me, which was unfair. Yeah. I didn't know any better. But there were one or two people that sort of were standouts for me. Okay. Uh, my coach, I've had my coach for since about 1988. Right, okay. And I've, he's just come back to Redditch and I'm, I'm helping him now do some stuff because he's, he's sort of nearly 70 now. Oh. But he's still coaching. Fantastic coach. So I'm sort of repaying all the, the, the learning I've had off him over the years by helping him out. I'm in a position to help him out now. So it's great to sort of give him something back. But um, after the sort of incidents and whatever, it was not long after the attack, he, he phoned me up. And he said, you're all right, Yeah, yeah, fine. Now, this will sound like nothing, right? Okay. But after the event, I was living in the property where the event happened. Right, wow. Right? I was looking after my friend's dog. Now, you have a really false vision of what happens after these attacks and how the governments and the police are going to look after you. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> so I had to go in. I had to mop all the blood up. They don't send in a team. Of house cleaners. Don't they? Oh. So when I eventually went into the property, I had to clean, mop all the blood up, bring buckets, tip it down the drain, disinfect it, blood up door handles. And days later, I'd be going into the next room and I'd find blood behind the door handle, or so I had to get the disinfectant. So that adds to your trauma. Yeah. Uh, plus, I was having flashbacks because I was living in the property. Okay. So it was trigger, every day was trigger fantastic. So it weren't a great time. My mate was in hospital, well, I thought was dying. I mean, I was told he would, he would die. So it weren't a great time. Uh, people were not really wanting to engage with me because I didn't understand what had happened and whatever. And I had a phone call and it was my, my coach. And he said, uh, are you getting on? I said, yeah, fine. He said, well, tomorrow morning, he says, come around and have a cup of tea. I said, yeah, okay. So the next day, I went round his house and he made me some breakfast and he made me a cup of tea and we had a chat. And then I went home. And it was the only piece of normality that I'd had in weeks. Wow. Yeah. And it's really, really little, simple, kind things like that in life that make a difference. Yeah. 
So if you've got somebody that you think needs help or support, don't think, I'm not an expert, I'm not a guru, I don't know about the law, I'm not a counsellor, I don't know how to deal with them. Just a simple act of kindness will never be forgotten. That's right. And like you said, the normality of it. Yeah. He didn't want to talk to you about the incident or anything else like no. that. Just wanted to be... No. So a cup of tea, had a chat about all kinds of random stuff, and then went out. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's the little things, isn't it, that you take for granted that mean so much. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm terrible I am because I never thank people enough. You, you know, <laughs> no, I'm terrible. And, um, you know, I'm quite, um, although I can talk for England, <laughs> When it comes to things like that, I'm not very good at saying thank you and, you know, because it's all a bit wussy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it's not that I haven't appreciated what certain people have done for me over the years. Yeah. And it might be small things. Yes. But to me at the time, it was massive. And they probably don't even know what impact they had on me at the time. Okay, so then, Pete, I, I, this is more for the youngsters who maybe yeah. mum and dad have been listening and said, right, you need to listen to this guy because if you're not yeah. careful. <laughs> yeah. So what do you wish that somebody would have told you when you were just, just getting yourself out there as a teenager, getting into all sorts? Well, I'm going to flip that first okay. because we've already said that teenagers don't really listen to you anyway. True. Yeah. <laughs> Through engagement, you can you can put them on different paths. I'm a firm believer in that. But before I talk about that, I just want to flip it over and say to the parents that have said to the kids, listen to this. I've got a message for the parents. Okay, excellent. And, and a friend of mine, he, he eventually died of an heroin overdose, but he said something to me many years ago, well over 30 years ago. He said, Pete, he said, if you've got kids... So I know now I know there are some circumstances where you just can't go on engaging with your children. But when it comes to your kids, never close the door on them. Because I know young people in the past who've gone down bad ways, got into drugs, done all kinds of bad things, and then decided they want to change the path. But they've got no way back because the door's shut. So please try to keep the door open for your children as long as you can. So if they decide they want to come back through the looking glass, they've got somewhere to go. And on that note then, so how do you know when to open the door again? I think it's all about giving people chances, isn't it? You know, and I know chances are taken and broken, but for you to close the door on someone permanently is your own child mm. yeah it's got to really be the last resort doesn't it you know if it's a friend then that's one thing but when it's your own child and that's what we're talking about mm. you know you brought them into this world so you're the person with the last responsibility yes. so if everybody on the planet turns the back on them you should be the last person to turn your back on them yeah. So just make sure you're the last person. Okay, then. So <laughs> what would you say to the people who may be the ones who want the door opening? Okay, so if it's someone that wants to come back, 
truth and truth is very very difficult especially when it involves maybe things that you've done wrong yeah but sorry can mean a lot if it's done with intent and not just lip service because they may have heard sorry before and be honest and truthful but then you've got to live up to that truth because words are cheap aren't they they are yes you may have to prove your truth before they open the door all the way yes and is there anything wrong with that no because it can be it doesn't mean they've got to open the door and welcome you've open arms straight away does it no no but if they can start trying to gain some of the trust then hopefully you can rebuild relationships yeah yeah doesn't all have to be done in a day does it no, no, exactly. Yeah. Gives me a chance to prove it. And taking responsibility for things that you have done as well is a massive thing. Yeah. To, yeah, to definitely. Gaining that trust back. and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course it is. You know, and it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? You know, nobody likes accepting that maybe they were the issue. No. But sometimes you have to do it. And I've had to do it and, I, you know, it's the last thing you want to do, but sometimes you just have to swallow it, don't you? Get on with it. You do. <laughs> it's really hard. I know when I had to do it, I, it was so hard. But then afterwards, it was kind of like, okay, I can deal with this now. I can step forward. Yeah. Step forward. I'll tell you a quick, quick story of what happened with my parents. Okay. And I was about 18. And the police had been around me house a few times. Nothing serious, but, you know, my mum and dad were sort of getting to the end of the tether. And um, before I went out, I had a conversation with my mum and dad, and they basically said, this is the last straw now. Now, I know they didn't mean it, but this is the last straw. We can't put up with any of this. It stops now. You know, and I can't remember the exact conversation, but it was, it was quite, for an 18-year-old, you know, it was quite a serious conversation. So what I did on the, the evening, I went out, drunk a bottle of vodka, got into a big fight, smashed a pub up, slept rough, Come home in the morning, covered in blood, shirt ripped open. Yeah. Uh, a bit of a mess, as you can imagine. Yeah. And as I come up my drive, my dad was coming out of the house going to work. Oh, dear. <laughs> That's what I thought. So he's off out going to work, getting into the car, and I'm just coming home. The right state. So I thought, ah, this is going to be around here. And I was ready for the rap. Yeah. So I'm not going to let him talk to me. I'm, 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 I'm. I was ready for an argument. So I walked up my drive. And just before my dad got in his car, drove off. He turned around and he went, morning. And I said, didn't say anything because I thought, where's this going? He said, you do know we love you, don't you, son? And he got in his car and drove off. There's no bollocking, no row. And I never, ever took any trouble back to my mum and dad's house again. Wow. Wow. It was more, more powerful than any rollicking. Yeah. Just that. Did it make you feel, like, guilty? I thought you arsehole. <laughs> right, I see. What are you doing to these lovely people? 
Yeah. But <laughs> so not your enemy. <laughs> no. I think that that's you do feel like oh no for me I've bought my parents and my my enemies wouldn't let me out wouldn't let me do what I wanted but no they were trying to keep me safe. <laughs> yeah, there's only doing it because I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's about intent, isn't it? Yeah. The intent yeah. wasn't to be cruel or hurt you. The intent yeah. was because I wanted to keep you safe. Okay, and lastly then, Pete, what is on the agenda for you and your businesses for 2021? Right, um, now we've been back a few weeks and we're a bit more organised. Our one-to-one sessions at the gym are pretty much now at capacity. Brilliant. Trying to bring in people to help me, but it's a long, slow process and you've got to get the right people. Yeah. So the gym's pretty much at full capacity. We're visiting as many schools as we can, doing knife crime presentations. Unfortunately, we've seen a massive rise in knife crime since lockdown. Uh, that's going sort of through the roof. That's surprising. Uh, how, how well, well it's, the thing is, you see, during lockdown, knife crime and other types of violent crime really dropped off. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, obvious nobody acts and no, no knife crime. Now everyone's back in the streets. It's gone back up to normal levels. I think there's just so much activity going on out there and young people are so keen to get out and get involved with stuff. It doesn't mean they're all coming out and joining the local gym. Right, I see. Some of them are coming out and getting involved with stuff that's illegal. Drug-related and knife-related crimes really, really on the rise. So we're going to do as many schools as we can to engage in the knife crime presentation sort of doing as many outreach projects as we can at local supermarkets, any way really where we can get the message out. Wow. So we've got lots of that going on and we're going to be providing some more free classes in positive activities in different venues. So instead of just at our venue, we're going to be doing stuff all over Redditch Town because towns like Redditch are very estate-driven yes. and area-driven. <laughs> Young people on Churchill won't go to Lodge Park. Yeah, I see, yeah. Yeah, so we're trying to reach as many local estates as possible and continue working with Redditch Police and the schools and colleges to just try and get the message out there as much as possible. But I'm pretty much maxed out now on what work I can do. Really? I so I've either got to keep it capped or try expansion through... Um, volunteers and things, but it's proving taxing. <laughs> it's challenging, yeah, getting the right people with the right attitude. But we've got a couple of young people that came through our referral programme who are now training and qualifying to be coaches, so that's quite rewarding. This is so because, amazing. Well, it's what it's all about, you know, when you've got a young person that was homeless, no education, not really have any direction, and they're now you know, got accommodation, they're in full-time education at college and they're training to be a self-defence instructor, it makes you think, we're doing something, right? Definitely. <laughs> you know, we don't do competitive sports, but, but they're our gold medals. Yes, exactly. And to be honest, I'd rather that than a gold medal, really. And me every day of the week. Life-changing. It's life-changing. Yeah. yeah, so we'll just keep plodding on. Well, thank you so much, Pete, for your input in these last two um, 
you know uh, the shows that we've done it's been invaluable i do feel like we need to bring you back for some self-defense um i know because we do have a lot of female listeners which i think would be really yeah, handy yeah. for those guys because that can have a, an effect on mental health as well if you're constantly yeah, worrying yeah. about things that are going on outside it can yeah. cause like arachnophobia and things like that the talisman sellers as we spoke about earlier will fuel the paranoia and fear so they can sell courses we have a different approach where we try to quell the paranoia and fear yeah. and educate them on what the real dangers are and what to be worried about and not not to be worried about so maybe we could do a, a ladies self-defense stroke awareness yes that sounds brilliant thank you so much pete no problem um, pleasure thank you so much pete for everything and we will hear from you soon Thank you much. Bye. So there you have it. What a fantastic guy. I just love to hear from Pete and all his experience. And as we said um, in a couple of episodes ago, we will be doing a bit more with Pete. I really want to get um, a domestic violence show on the podcast, as I think that's quite relevant and could help a few people out there, men and women, because let's not forget it can happen to either sex. Look out for that. Um, I'll also be detailing some of Pete's best bits throughout the week on Facebook. So do take a look at those. But that's all for this week. Join me next week where I'm sharing that all important research regarding PTSD and CPTSD. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you all again very soon. You've been listening to the It's A Crazy Life podcast. My name's Sarah and I've been your host. This podcast is dedicated to raising awareness for mental health whilst helping to end this stigma. Mm -hmm.